Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Sandra Sneed, a science and technology industry writer and former atheist with a secret. All the years she spent interviewing scientists and engineers, translating their high-minded knowledge for laypersons, she has also been interviewing the highest mind, the creator of the universe. And she has recorded these conversations in her new book, What to Do When You're Dead, a former atheist interviews the source of infinite being. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, this is such an intriguing book, and I have to say I found it a real challenge because it uses its own taxonomy, and I had to read every word. You know, sometimes you can skim and so on, but mm-hmm. not with this book. Mm-hmm. So, as an atheist, presumably you did not believe in the existence of God when these conversations started. What convinced you that you were talking to God? I would say that the construct of God in relevance to God's creations, which would be human beings, is coming from a cellular internal mechanism. It's not like God is some external being that we recognize and then and then we start talking to. So when the 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 seminal event occurred what what happened was I had lost a job that I loved and a man that I was in love with was ending the relationship. And I was living up in New York City where you pretty much your job is your social life. You don't have much more than what you do for a living to to entertain your, your social life. So I've, I found myself completely and utterly alone. And I would descend the staircase of the rental house that I was living in to smoke cigarettes and to write and write and write. And I'd always been a writer. I've I've filled countless pieces of paper with poems and prose that I never planned to see the light of day. So that's what, what was going on this time. But... I had read the book by Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way, where she talks about writing and to write and write and write without stopping to turn off your inner editor and to increase that creative flow that is deep within you. And the reason that I was doing that was mainly to quell this overwhelming sadness, depression, panic. Um, intense feeling of worthlessness that had come over me after losing a a job and and a man that I was in love with. To use a cliche, it sounds like you were going through a dark night of the soul. Indeed, indeed. Um, So when I filled up an entire notebook of emotional blather, I opened up a brand new notebook And I put my pen on the top line, and before I knew what was happening, the the pen had moved and stopped. And it wasn't until that 
it stopped that I realized I had written something. And when I looked down at the paper, it said, unemployed, question mark, it is my assertion you are employed by me. And so when I first saw those words, it's one thing to, to read the words and then to bring into your consciousness what the words say, and then, and then to your consciousness realizes that it is speaking to you. You are um, the object of the dialogue. That kind of sent me into that rabbit hole. Um, it's kind of like in the movie. Did you ever see the movie The Matrix? I did. And remember the moment when he had taken the blue pill and he was looking into a mirror, and a mirror is just this flat, reflective plane, much the way writing is. We write on a piece of paper and we read it, and it is reflecting back to us what we perceive ourselves to be. But but then he um, puts his finger in the mirror and it responds to him like water responds and it moves and it is no longer this flat two-dimensional plane reflecting him but that it can actually be a doorway into another dimension and that's that's what happened to me when I read that line, unemployed, it is my assertion, you were employed by me. Does that explain it? Well, that explains how you felt that you were accessing another dimension. What made you think that it was, let's say, the supreme being as opposed to either another aspect of your personality or a guide or an Mm -hmm. angel or something like that? Mm-hmm. Good question. Really good question. The presence in the room was so enormous that it wasn't like a feeling of of another protective being walking alongside me, but a being that I was contained within and contained within me so that there was no separation between me and this form of being. There was something in my deepest knowing that said, this is the maker of all things. Mm -hmm. So it was like an instant conversion. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's funny how we think of God as either believing or not believing but really, it's a matter of awakening to the um, construct that you're contained within. It, it's like when you're in New York City and you look up into the sky and you see a handful of stars. And then you take a trip to New Mexico where there are no man-made, light-polluting machines. And you look up at the sky and you can see the Milky Way. And then you look at 
pictures of the Hubble telescope that tell you that that Milky Way that you saw was actually a spiral arm of a spiral galaxy, then your awareness expands to what you're really contained within so that it's it's not a belief or disbelief. It's a knowing that comes from your new perspective of what you are and what you are contained within. Now, you said that you had this feeling of both being contained within it and it being contained within you. So what yeah. is God in your understanding? So the way that God says it in, in my book, What to Do When You're Dead, God explains that God is what God makes as God becomes. So in the moment, for instance, of the Big Bang, this was when God became aware of God's self. God's external awareness began to move into the eternal awareness to look within from the great question, what am I? And asking, what am I? Then all that was without, inward to within. And in that within state, the singular cell of God then split in a nucleus and exploded with enormous energy and magnitude that everything since that moment has been calling back to God, answering God's question, what am I? Answering the question, I am this, I am that, I am a lion, I am a tiger, I am a whale in the ocean. All of these beings are God calling back to the original question God asked, what am I? God seems to have had a special role for man, which kind of was part of that dialogue of what am I? Mm. What, what was the role of man as you understood it? Man's purpose, and we'll, we'll give it a name, man as in Adama, which is the Hebrew word for earth or red man, clay, Earth. Adama was an androgynous being that was made to contain memory and to give an accounting of all of these amazing creations that were erupting from the source of creation. And I asked God, why is it that God needed, you know, some something else to tell God what what was being created? Couldn't God know? already. And what God said is that the mind of God is so vast that once a question is asked, by the time the answer comes back to the asking, the question is forgotten. It's, and I likened it to um, digging around in my purse looking for something and forgetting what I'm digging for and just keep digging and digging um, without 
you know, remember, hoping that I will remember what I was searching for. Well, that's very reassuring to know that even God has seen your moments. <laughs> yeah, um, greater than you could even imagine, even imagine. And so these beings that God makes, um, the, their sole purpose is to contain memory because God is a formless being. And so is our spirit that is designed in the image of God. Our bodies are not designed in the image of God. Our spirit, our our soul is designed in the image of God. It is a formless being. But these bodies have the ability to contain memory long enough to process information that can be brought back to the original question that God asks. And how does it do that? Is that through the mechanism of the soul? The soul allows that communication between the body and God. And when you deny the existence of the soul, you have to deny the existence of the of, of God. So if you fully acquire your connection to your soul, then that soul will lead you to the spirit nature that you are that is in this wild imagination of God with contained within the wild and amazing imagination of God. God is in our imagination because it's our everything, all things begin within the imagination. And God's imagination is just this overwhelming force to collect the matter and material that will come together in a kind of a vortex to collect into what we call form. Mm-hmm. So you're using imagination much as one would use the concept of thought or consciousness? Yes. Mm-hmm. The difference between thought and imagination is simply that imagination allows you to create. Thought can disrupt creation. You can have these thoughts that are, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. Look at a, You listen to the news and and say that the world uh, is not prepared for me to succeed. Thoughts are remnants of what we've heard through our senses and what we've experienced through our senses. Imagination is not sensory bound. Mm -hmm. So imagination would be the precursor to creation. Indeed. You you describe the soul as being made of light. You describe God as being made of light. Presumably the spirit is light. Mm -hmm. I still wasn't terribly clear on the relationship between the soul and the spirit. What God explains to me is that God begat spirit, spirit begat soul, soul begat body or form. Mm-hmm. And these are lower and lower levels, or I should say slower and slower levels of 
material construction. So the mortal soul is a combination between what we call the material world and spirit world. Spirit is the smaller version of God being, so that it's in a, an individual, individual or individualized, individualized, individualized version of the one of God, so that it can help to manipulate the soul and also to protect the soul from being caught up in the lowest form of energy, which is the body. It's a very slow vibration. Mm-hmm. And that is why when the body passes away, if the mortal soul is convinced that all it is is a body, then it maintains that vibration and that vibration becomes that apparition and that apparition can become trapped on earth. And spirit, being of higher vibration, cannot just go down into those lower realms and pick it up. There is something within that mortal soul that must be forgiven or let go of or released in order to raise its vibrational signature enough for the spirit to then carry it on into God realm. And how does that happen? It happens at the point of when the spirit lets go of the body. We we often think of the body as passing away and the soul is released from the body. But what's really happening is that the spirit is letting go of the body and uh, through whatever mechanisms that is chosen by the great mind of that individual, that's how um, it will be represented in the form of some disease, some belittling way of thinking of itself. When you think of yourself as something greater than what the world tells you you are, then your body is filled with all kinds of healing mechanisms, and you can restore the soul and restore the body just by having a larger perspective of what you are. But there has to be at a time when the spirit is ready to let go of the body and to continue on into its journey mm-hmm. beyond beyond the world, um, that it has to belittle the, the source of the body. And, um, you know, when you say belittle the source, you, you presumably mean release its kind of hold, uh, its attachment to it and be ready to move on into uh, the God connection. It, yeah. it, if if I understood correctly from your book, you you said that the the soul actually has to call out to spirit or be ready to move into spirit, and without that connection, it can get trapped on the earthly plane and and manifest as a ghost or or a, a trapped spirit. Right. The it has to take on the form of the formless being that it is. Instead of thinking of itself as a form, it must allow that it is a formless being 
free to move without any constraints of the physics that we adhere to on Earth. I imagine that could be a little disorienting for a soul if it wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. But you, you also say that for souls that are not prepared, for souls that are kind of resisting the, the notion of connection to spirit, that other people can help them along through yes. acts of kindness. What, what did you mean by that? What happens in the course of kindness is a kinship with the great creator being and the individual who is being kind and the one that is receiving the kindness. To receive kindness and to give kindness is a single bond that has a two-way street, but it is a single connection. So, in other words, you, you cannot be truly kind to someone without also understanding the kindness toward yourself. In that kindness, we connect to the heart of God within us, and inside the heart of God is the realm of spirit that elevates our vibrational signature. Mm -hmm. So if someone is suffering from the, how they are belittling their own existence and worthiness, when someone shows them kindness, they feel a sense of worthiness. And in this worthiness, they are instantly raising that vibrational signature that is necessary in order to elevate into the next the next place that they need to go. Mm -hmm. So uh, you recommended, particularly for people on their deathbed, that it is possible to give them a notion of their connection uh, mm -hmm. and, and use this um, act of kindness to kind of propel them along in the right direction. So tell me about the nat nature and the role of nature as, as a force and as a being. Nature has mechanisms of personality, let's say. Uh, for lack of a better word, from, from my standpoint, I can't think of a better word than personality of God. God has so many ways of being that each and every aspect of nature is replicating that realm of God. Even in that which we call Mother Nature, Mother Nature represents that which begat all things, the womb from which all creation has emerged. It is also true that nature has this way of being everlasting life, constantly reinventing itself, reapplying itself, 
recreating itself. And so it is the physical formation of what we imagine God's imagination to create. So we could see, for instance, let's take man and and woman. Woman represents, or female represents, life ever giving. And male represents everlasting life. And I said to God, God, I can see where female can represent life ever giving because she has a womb. But what is it that man has or male has that represents everlasting life? And God says, a male will never allow himself to be anything less than the king of his home that he dwells within this home so that he should he will live forever he builds weapons of defense and of war so that he shall live forever i had a girlfriend i said this to one time and she says ah no wonder men can produce sperm way into their um, 80s and it's so that they will live forever and God asked me, so what does that mean when you put those two together? And I said, everlasting life giving. And God said, that is me. I am life giving, everlasting being. Man and woman are two aspects of God that were split in order to reconnect so that one becomes two, and two creates a new one, always recreating the one that is the one of God, the singular nature of God. Mm-hmm. And you talked about a uh, characteristic of nature in that it is kind of uh, destroying and producing the sort of mm-hmm. Kali image. Um, and this is sort of essential uh, to the process of evolution. What I found really fascinating was the discussion about how man is tampering with the mechanisms of nature Mm. and nature's response at a slower pace and the, the potential for actually annihilating ourselves as a species. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, do you think that this was perhaps the central motivation or point behind God's communication in this book? Yes, I, I do. And it came as a complete surprise to me when I sat down to write the book because God's given me so many wonderful ways of living, you know, our lives in a more fulfilling way in the past in my in my dialogues with God. So for this book to to be a warning um was was it came as a complete surprise. And what God says is that there are four issues facing humankind today that will if we stay on this path, we are 
about two generations away from annihilating ourselves. And the first thing is that we are choking ourselves off from the source of all life, and that is water. We are damming, damming up all of the streams and rivers so that the tributaries and, and streams cannot get water downstream. We are also weakening the production of oxygen by destroying the biosphere. We are knocking down the trees and the green with no, without a care in the world, not realizing that these were made, that, that long before humans came, the earth was filled with caustic air that uh, could not be breathed by protein-based beings. And so the, the trees and the green were all developed to sequester the CO2 in the air and to produce H2, um, produce oxygen. Then um, the third thing God says is that we are making a big mistake to think that burning fossil fuels is what's heating up the planet. What's heating up the planet is our destruction of the biosphere. We, as, as we wipe out all of the trees, then we destroy the cooling cycles of the rain, the rain cycles. You know, there's a reason that the deserts don't get rain. It's because there's no trees to fulfill the, the rain cycles and the cooling cycles. Last but not least, because according to God, this has been happening for millennia as evidence in uh, ancient ruins around the world, we've been, you know, continually wiping ourselves out and then a small band survives and then we repopulate the earth. But what's different about this time is that we're poisoning our own food supply. We're creating cycles, cycles of fake food by creating genetically modifying not only the food that we're eating, but also the fertilizers so that the crops, the entire system of crop development is, is fake and our bodies cannot work fast enough. Evolution cannot work fast enough to take care of um, the the nutrients that we are neglecting in our bodies. And if we keep this up, our society is going to be nothing but obese, cancer-ridden mules. And that is a direct quote. Obese, cancer-ridden mules. Now that's an image. Yeah. And it's, it's an image we can see right now. I don't know where, where, where you live in... Oregon, I know that there are a lot more um, conscientious individuals there who are growing their own food, crops yeah. and food. And um, But down here in Texas, it is a completely ignorant society, and the amount of obesity is frightening. It's frightening down here. What's fascinating is what you say about... Um, there's there's this impulse in nature to compensate for the challenges. So you said that when 
the planet was covered in caustic, noxious gas. Nature created its biosphere to absorb it, but mm -hmm. it moves at a slow pace. Yes. And the pace of the degradation of our environment is going much faster than nature can adapt. And so right. what's happening are the, the rampant diseases that are, are crippling us, uh, crippling mm -hmm. our healthcare system, overloading mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So what can we do about this? Well, I think the what first... Does God, what does God foresee? I mean, does he think we're going to make it? Um, God does give one little tidbit of hope in that anything that is unequivocally created to destroy can also be unequivocally um, created to create. So, um, so that's there, but it is our choice. We are free will beings, and God made us that way. The the issue is God is not going to interfere because, frankly, there's no such thing as death. Death doesn't exist. So the, the issue that God has about this is that the souls that are left on the earth after all of the human beings get wiped out, there's no one to pray these these souls that are trapped back up into the realm of God. So they become alone and annihilated mm -hmm. as a result of what our humans, man from humus, um, does to destroy himself. I love the analogy that you said, that, that man is playing in God's kitchen, and mm -hmm. God, like a parent, comes in to warn us about the fire, yeah. Uh, lest we get a, a pot of boiling water on our heads. And we can either pay attention or we cannot pay attention. So the price of not paying attention is annihilation. And on the other hand, we do have the, the creative uh, chops, the, the creative impulse to be mm -hmm. able to turn our technology for us if we just wake up. That's right. That's right. And I, it's, um, I know some people may have a, have a problem with me uh, quoting uh, the one who did Inconvenient Truth, uh, Al Gore. Um, when Al Gore said, we need to change the conversation, we need to win the conversation so that when people say, ah, oh, there's no such thing as global warming, that there are enough knowledgeable people within that conversation to say, well, as a matter of fact, there is more science than you know to back that up. So it's a matter of changing what we see in how we're treating the earth. And I have personally spent hours and hours and hours on Google Earth finding the horrific numbers of acres, of hectares, of, of missing forests that have been clear-cut and removed up in Canada and all throughout um, the United States for crops. And these crops aren't all to feed us. 
these crops are for ethanol, for creating corn syrup rather than pure cane sugar, the, the, the enormous amount, and, and, and then not to mention, God forbid, the rainforest is already showing immense signs of loss of forest. I think people don't realize the role of biomass in, yeah. uh, in the cycle. And this is something that you pointed out uh, earlier very, very clearly. And I must say I was somewhat surprised that it's not so much the, the emissions from our fossil fuels that are causing global warming, but rather the lack of the countervailing biomass to absorb it. Exactly. Wow. Uh-huh. Exactly. And, and, you know, and here we are going to work and work and work on reducing the CO2, but that CO2 in the air... Um, was there long before human beings, mm. and it became sequestered by the biomass. And with global warming, the the permafrost is melting, and all mm-hmm. of that sequestered CO2 is now being released into the atmosphere as well. Right, right. So, um, what what do you think is different? about now that God is making himself heard? has You call yourself a God scribe. Mm-hmm. Have there always been God scribes? Yes, there have. And the probably the earliest known in Western civilization would be Moses. We unfortunately don't have his original clay tablets. They were put into the Ark of the Covenant and... God knows where the Ark of the Covenant is. You should ask him. <laughs> I am scared to ask those kinds of questions because, um, uh, you know, I just, for some reason, I just have a hard time asking those kinds of questions. <laughs> I'll send you a list. I have a long list. Oh, wonderful. Actually, I'd, I'd love that. Maybe I can uh, do some short little um, podcasts with answering questions that that people may have. I think that would be really cool. Um, I forgot the question. What was it? Um, God's cry. Oh, oh, yes. Have there been others? Yes. So Moses was one of them. Another one more recent in our uh, American history anyway, is Mary Baker Eddy, Mm -hmm. who founded the Christian Science Church and the uh, Christian Science Monitor in 1905. I think uh, her book, her book, um, Health, Health, Something, Something, and a Key to the Scriptures, uh, was published in 1875. And then Neil Donald Walsh, who in 1995, uh, began his series, Conversations with God. And then there have also been Jesus scribes. One that I know of in particular was Helen Shuckman, who... A Course in Miracles. Yeah. Yes, who wrote A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. In fact, I interviewed Neil Donald Walsh just a few weeks ago. Did you? Mm-hmm. 
I hope I get to meet him. So, well, I have met him, but he didn't know who I was. I just, I just wanted my copy of his book signed and I didn't, <laughs> didn't introduce myself. He's, his books meant a lot to me because I found them actually in 2004 when this was happening to me. And part of me felt like I was losing my mind. And so it was a way of helping to ground me. Um, reading his books, and I recognized God's voice in his books. It was the same, same God I talked to. Well, it's interesting that both you and Neil um, arrived at this opening of your dialogue, if you will, with God from the lowest point in your life. Mm -hmm. It's, It's kind of the point where you just kind of give up and you surrender and you say, yeah. okay, you know, I have nowhere to go. You want to use me? You want me to stick around? Help. I think for me, and I, and I don't, I know Neil was a believer, but what, what happened for me is that I, because I was an atheist, I had no preconception about what God is. And, um, the mechanism of writing and disengaging my my thinking brain from the pen allowed God to step in. And one thing we haven't mentioned in this interview is that in chapter one of the book, God explains very clearly that I was born for this mission, that that I was born to um, to do this, and I only woke up to my mission at the age of thirty nine. And Neil woke up at, uh, I think he was like 55 mm-hmm. before he woke up. And and what happened for me is that all of these things I had worked for, I'd worked to become, you know, this very successful photographer, and I wanted a relationship that was equally successful as my career. Um, and then when all that just broke away, I lost my sense of identity. I had, I had identified with the things that I did rather than identifying with the spirit being within me. And so that I think is what had to happen is the destruction of the external perception of the self so that the internal being, um, as Jung called it, um, the the unknowable self, the unknowable self, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, that's what what Jung called it. A great book, by the way. If you've never read it, that is that is it's a small book, not very big, but man, if you, I'm sure you have uh, the brain capacity to absorb it with great joy. So. Uh, in the book, uh, God kept on hinting that there would be others uh, when he re- declined, he, she, it declined to go into detail on a particular question mm-hmm. and said that uh, that would be in another book. You use um, a very different, almost stilted form of language. Um, do you find, and and God says that um, he's using your own vocabulary, your uh, your own kind of 
uh, formulation of words. Mm -hmm. Do you find that this is coming more fluently, less um, awkwardly as you go through the process, as time goes by? Maybe. What it, what it feels like is um, sometimes a word will come into my mind and I'll only be able to get the first letter or two and I will play with what, what, you know, what is the word God's trying to tell me? And, um, and it's almost like, what are those maze games where you, you put a ball down and the maze and the ball goes through all these little mazes before it goes into a single slot? Um, that's kind of what seems to happen is that I draw, draw the word that God's giving me toward my own knowing of the word FR, for instance, or FE, the word, and I, and I can't get the word God's trying to tell me. So I search, 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 and then finally the word fervent mm -hmm. comes out. Mm -hmm. And and this is a word I don't know the definition of. So I have to go to my collegiate dictionary to look it up. And mm -hmm. what I find so fascinating is that God knows words in the dictionary that I don't know. I see. Interesting. So it's, so mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, so it's not just my brain God's calling the words from it's the universal mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, are you working on another book? I have finished actually another book, and it's being transcribed by Carol Hill, who transcribed the first one for me because I handwrite them. Mm -hmm. And the title of that, which I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this upcoming book because this first book, "What to Do When You're Dead," gives some pretty bad news. And it's kind of a it's kind of a a wake up call, kind of a bummer. It's a wake up call, and people really, really need to know. But the second book so delights me because God talks about things like why the peacock was made and why um, the black widow has that hourglass shape on her belly. Oh my and, goodness! What yeah. fun! Oh, well, yeah. I really look forward to that. Me too. So, Sandra, um, how do people find out more about you and your book and your upcoming books and so on? My website is sandrasneed.com, and that's S-O-N-D-R-A-S-N-E-E-D.com. And you'll see a little tab to the right of every page that says free download. And if you wouldn't mind putting your email address, uh, your name and email address on there, I will send you a copy of the five principles for quieting the mind and listening to your higher self. And then I will get to tell you when um, uh, the next book is out and ready. Terrific. Well, I'm afraid that brings us to the end of our interview. We've been speaking with Sandra Sneed, author of What to Do When You're Dead. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great questions. Next week, our guest will be Nick Ortner. 
introducing us to his new book, The Tapping Solution, A Revolutionary System for Stress-Free Living. Before we close with our track of the week, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, ncreview.com, where you'll find many more interviews along with summaries and reviews for thousands of new consciousness books and films, as well as author profiles, videos, events, and blogs. If you sign up for our newsletter, you'll be included in our weekly draw for free books and films. The link is right on our homepage, where you'll also find a link to our mobile app so that you can listen to our interviews or watch our videos on the go. That's at ncreview.com. And now we're going to close our show with the track of the week selected by Scott Johnson of the Positive Music Association. Today's track is Middle of a Miracle by Jan Garrett and J.D. Martin. Rats.
Middle of a Miracle by award-winning singer-songwriters Jan Garrett and J.D. Martin from their album Already Home. You can find out more about their music on garrett-martin.com. To learn more or to join the Positive Music Association, go to positivemusicassociation.com. Now here's a special plea from Julie, our reviews editor. We're looking for enthusiastic readers and good writers to join our team of book and film reviewers. You get first peek at leading-edge titles, sometimes even before they're released, and you'll be providing an important service to the community. It's a great way to build up your library, too. So if you're interested, you can read more on our website, ncreview.com, or email us at reviews at ncreview.com. Well, that wraps up our show for today. I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to NCR Radio. If you missed any of Miriam's shows, you can find them on demand any day and time on her show page. You can also download podcasts to your iPhone and take these inspiring shows with you wherever and whenever you like. If you have a question or comment for Miriam, you can follow her on Facebook at facebook.com slash ncrreview. That's facebook.com slash ncrreview. Be sure and join us next week for more passionate and exciting guests on NCR Radio.